presents Vampire the Masquerade Hellfire Nights Good evening again, everyone. Welcome back to the Bardic College Presents Hellfire Nights. I'm your storyteller, Raz, and I'm joined by the entire team this evening. And we've left off in some pretty interesting situations on our last show. And we want to jump right back into it because we have a lot to cover. And London is on the verge of (laughs) fire. Um, So so we could be seeing a lot of of agony and, and deaths and Terrible, terrible things uh, occurring in London, depending on how our characters and players react tonight. So without further ado, we'll jump right into it. Um, Asherbrenner, when we last left off, you and Muse had finished uh, a poor soul off in an alleyway. And by finished, I mean drank and fed. Um, not finished in any other method. Yeah. But yeah, she's, uh, it was, she's a little greedy. Uh, definitely was... Um, far more aggressive than you than you've you know seen other feeders especially females they tend to be a little bit more uh genteel about it in times but you know the it seemed the hunger was upon her or she truly believes in the uh, you know the concept of reveling in her vampiricness during uh those moments but she wipes her her face off on the inside of her dress uh, you know this this linen type garment she's wearing so it doesn't show so much on the outside and smiles at you and says, hit the spot. Absolutely. I enjoy a woman who is not afraid to eat. Sometimes I even need an an appetizer, but it'll hold me for tonight. Could we have a quiet word somewhere? Lead on. Okay. So I'll find some sort of area that's, uh, you know, just uh, maybe away from the general, you know, piss stink of the city you know maybe on top of a roof because that seems like something a vampire would do in victorian england i don't know absolutely uh you're you make your way up to a rooftop you know a block or so away uh you're able to scale the outside of the the building through different means um you know window ledges and things but you you do it fairly fairly securely and you find a roof that's not so old and tiled that it's dangerous or precarious where you might stand on it and literally go through the top of it or step or slide off the side. So yeah, you're, you're able to perch yourself on a, on a roof fairly comfortably by the chimney. Wonderful. Okay. <clears throat> I don't want to sully this evening with anything awkward, but I need to ask in our circles, there are politics how do you deal with your the politics of those you associate with personally you mean me personally yes i am an interesting situation um a conundrum of sorts because there are some who consult me at times like these and others who avoid me I am the yin and yang. I am the duality. It, it is a sad answer. I know you sound like you seek something concrete, but if my visions many times come true and that makes me valuable, but to others, they can be convoluted uh, 
and they find them difficult to deal with or hear. So most times the clan that I am a kin with will seek me out and they will be sought out by someone and I will tell them what I feel or what I have dreamt and known, what I know to be true in my, you know, that way I see it and interpret it and move on from there. But right now it's hard to escape what's going on in London. Hmm. I would love nothing more than to simply stay separate from all of this and create what I know to be true art, but I keep being dragged back in to these farces, these power plays, these these literal and figurative dick-measuring contests. I have no interest in measuring my penis. I just want to see what someone else's penis might look like bifurcated. And I'm wondering, not knowing much about you at all, can you recommend some sort of third option where I don't have to play a part in this goddamned penny-farthing drama, just something where I can be left alone? Because I feel people are asking my opinions, and the only opinion I have is that I have no opinion. I want to be left alone. I want to create the art I was created to make. It's so tiresome. This is the first time I've had any fun in weeks. You are known, Ashenbrenner. Whether you like it or not, it has come to the point where you are known. She says, this grievance is old. Many, many decades ago, when Kiernan Fraser was still but a pup himself, the predecessor of Elijah Beaumont, the Toreador of the, the, you know, the primogen of the clan, embraced one of Kiernan's relatives that he had selected for that gift, for that honor. And Kiernan, the prince at the time, was enraged because it had not been cleared. And there were penalties. And while it, and the new childer was destroyed. And from that day on, Kiernan swore he would have vengeance against the clan. He is beholden to anger and hate. And while he is a a clever politician, he has let all of that rage, especially for Elijah, who he sees as nothing more than a dandy, who reminds him every time he sees him that he lost such a potential for the clan of Ventrue. I don't know how it's going to be to escape all that. Even, Even if you were to just disappear and go to your haven, your name is on the prince's lips. You are a Toreador. You are part of that family. And at some point, there someone is going to man, demand you take an oath of fealty or fight him and depose him. It's, it's coming down to the final nights. I don't see a way out of this. So our prince is a colicky child. Fantastic. The Ventru all are, in some way. <sighs> Thank you, Muse. It's not its not good news, but I respect it as the truth, and it has been helpful. Can I give a message to you to pass on to your friend and clan mate that you have been seen around town with? Please. Her sire may have left the city, but he is not out of danger. 
I have seen terrible things occur. And one of the names that I have seen meet their final death, which is why I was at the house that night, wondering if he had truly met his death there, is that Bastion Moreau will die. Before we part ways, Muse, just give me some good news. It doesn't have to pertain to anything at all, but this has been such a wonderful evening. I would like to end it on something other than more dour. Well, if the visions make sense, I could let you in on perhaps something that would help you. Should the city fall to chaos, I could give you... I, I, the vision is is frail. It is. I have not. I have not cuddled it. I have not kept it close to my bosom and and nurtured it into a full, a full sighting and something I could guarantee will happen. But I have seen something on the fringes of my of my vision. I could give you that. Maybe that will help. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable or overstep any bounds, but I would appreciate anything that you have to offer. Absolutely. Evelyn Wolfe is a good friend to have and someone who might have other options for you rather than simply suckling at one of the teats of either Elijah or Kiernan Fraser. There may be another way. It is not the way I would recommend for your friend. But for you, Ashenbrenner, should things start to go very poorly... It might make sense. As I said, Muse, this has been some of the most fun I've had in a very long time, and I I thank you for that. And if you ever want to meet with my delightful dancing pig again, please send message, and I'm sure we can wring a few more fluids out of him next time. She chuckles and says, There's business yet unfinished with that man, but it'll keep for now. She straightens her skirt, kind of puts her hair up in a bun and uh, smiles and makes her way over to the edge of the, the, the roof itself, winks at you and then is gone. She just goes invisible. And if you carefully listen, you can hear the tapping as she's making her way down the side of the building. Excellent. Okay. Where do you want to head after that? You're just going to find some place to hold up for the evening? Um, you know, there's, there's probably some space, um, in that graveyard where I can, uh, I can slum it, maybe sneak into a mausoleum, something like that. Yeah. I'm sure every vampire has some sort of a backup, at least yeah. just an absolute emergency. So yeah, you, you head to a backup rest for the night. It's probably not comfortable. It's not like you would be no refreshment stock there or anything like that, but yeah, you, you have well, a place where you could, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, but you, you make your way to, to some sort of a you know, a situation that will keep you from the, the, the sweet kiss of the sun and uh, you get ready to bunker down for the night. So I'm sorry, we'll go back to Dr. Jackal next. So Dr. Cush uh, has left you, you're inside, you're flat. Uh, you were ready to go to bed, is that, and then we'll pick it up in the morning. Is that what we're trying to do? Uh, yeah, I think at this point, the good doctor is thoroughly exhausted. He's, he's feeling run down, he's feeling confused. And this is the first opportunity he's had since everything started to actually get something resembling eight hours of sleep. And he's going to jump all over that. Okay. So a a to-do list in the morning because he also feels like he's been neglecting some other duties. 
All right. So in the morning, well, just for to stay with you for now. So the morning comes for those listeners at home. Rosman and Evelyn will still be in the night previous, uh, but we'll finish. We'll get Doctor Jackal sort of started and, and deal with these issues. So in, yeah, in the morning you wake up. It's it's ten a.m. Uh, you're able to you you were able to get like seven hours of of good sleep in because you you basically conked out the minute you you were cleaned up and and refreshed you know and straightened up for bed. Uh, what was your you dress and I guess you're ready to start your day. Well, yeah, he finishes getting dressed and before he leaves the house, the first thing the doctor does is he goes to his study, and the desk that's in there, um, the way I pictured it, would be like the top left drawer would be one of those deep supply drawers. Mm-hmm. So he'll take a key out and unlock the drawer, pull it out, and just take all the different things out of the drawer. Just standard, you know, writing utensils and parchment and stuff like that. But then he's going to take his letter opener and underneath the drawer, just kind of slide it across until the false bottom clicks open. Mm-hmm. At which point he's going to pull out from the false bottom a leather-bound notebook and a bottle a little bit bigger than like a hip flask all right uh in the bottle is where he's been keeping every i would say month or so because i think he needs it once a month Mm -hmm. uh he gets a fresh shipment of quote-unquote tincture uh from agnes over in paris and after the uh last couple of nights especially the events of last night he's really feeling the need to uh to top off Um, all right so and this is this is where I ask the DM uh, uh, trepidatiously, is there anything left in the bottle? Yep, there's uh, about a swig left, which will carry him for another week or so. Okay, so he will, he's got to find, I forget what they're called, but it's like the size of a shot glass with like a wine stem on it. Like one of those little brains. Like a sherry glass? Yeah, like a sherry glass. Mm-hmm. So he will pour it in that and just, because he knows it's the last of it, he's going to drink it as slowly as you can drink just a little half shot of something yeah he pours himself an agnes yeah <laughs> <laughs> not a sherry right got it uh, not intended viewers <laughs> <laughs> but then he'll uh he'll take that notebook um and throw it into his medical bag and start making his way towards the lab because uh He's been neglecting the experiments that Agnes has asked him to look into, and since it's plenty of day left to go, he wants to try and work on that a little bit. So, yeah, university is close to where you you uh, you have your apartment and where you rent from. So, you drink the the tincture and you make your way over, uh, heading over into the labs and things like that. Uh, go ahead and give me a intelligence roll, please, Doctor. And you can include your wits. Three passes and one critical pass. Oh, wow. Still very good. It, it dawns on you that you have several reports to be filed, several things you wanted to do for your friend at the hospital as well. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, so, that's on my to-do list as well. As soon as, okay. I, get to the, as, soon as I get to the school, I will uh, find one of our couriers and have my uh, the police report that I put together that doesn't go into the full details of every single thing that um, Rennie had, but that at least, you know, gives a plausible, like, you know, definitely died from getting a stake through the chest. Um, Victim had suffered from various other 
you know, maladies and surface abrasions, uh, fingerprints found on the stake and include a copy of however it was that they would have made copies of fingerprints back then and just, you know, have the courier deliver it to that um, medical attendant. No problem. Over in the Richmond uh, Hospital in that r- district of London. Very well. So, yeah, that's that's dispatched. You do that. I was just making making sure not that you forgot entirely that that like was a priority for the morning because you wanted to make sure it had time to a write it up and then b get it over to him before yeah, I wrote, questions. I wrote it up last night before going as you were that. working. Right. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So that's dispatched. What else were you working on for Agnes specifically, or how did you want to go about working on stuff for her? So Agnes has tasked Horatio back when they they first met. He she proposed the idea that blood being the fuel of life may contain memories. So Horatio, every time he gets a fresh crop of students, has them donate blood for a uh, for the purpose of using in the classes, for doing things like blood typing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he holds on to a fair amount of it as well, where he tries to do different sorts of experiments like a well, let's see if we introduce an electrical current to this sample here. Oh, that just it, it boiled and burned. Okay, electricity is not the key to unlocking memories through blood. But he tries every week, he tries uh, some different uh, chemical reactions or combining different types of blood. Or if um, they didn't white have vaccines back then but he's kind of found antibodies in the blood and be like, oh, this is, could be a memory of the flu that's a very interesting maybe we need to look at the microcellular level and you know just spends the day kind of making notes that i'm sure will ultimately come to nothing but it is a task that agnes has given to him so he is quite diligent in it okay excellent all right so that starts you're in there for several hours you've you know you have different samples of blood that you've used several anticoagulant anticoagulating agents in it doesn't keep super long it's probably only good for several days so you do have your students on i would think some sort of like a rotating basis so if you have 30 gentlemen or you know at the time join a, a you know a, a class you take two or three a week and draw a vial of blood from them and then they don't have to do it for the next 13 or 14 weeks whatever a semester runs so you're going through that, and there's a knock on the laboratory door. I will uh, take the notebook and just try and slide it somewhere a little surreptitiously and take out just a, a regular pad that I had for mm-hmm. with more mundane medical notes on it. Oh, yes, sir. Come in. The door opens, and in steps Tevi Brankowitz. Oh, uh, Mr. Brankowitz, I wasn't expecting you today, sir. Fortunately, you caught me during my office hours. How how may I be of assistance? Ah, Doctor, it's good to see you again. You had uh, in, in, inferred in last time that we spoke that should I have uh, need or should one of my flock, uh, one of my people have need of a medical doctor, that you would um, be willing to, perchance, if you had the time, Take a look at them. Is that still something that I could count on you to do? Uh, I'd be willing to pay. And the um, the good doctor has not yet been informed by Simona or Ashenbrenner of uh, 
Heavy's uh, involvement in any of this yet, I don't think so. Nope. Um, of course, of course. A gentleman is only as good as his word, as they say. Please, is, are you the patient, or is it one of your uh, flock? No, no, no. it's uh, a child that has come to us through uh, the foster system. Uh, his parents, unfortunately, the, the father fell ill, and the mother was unable to cope with him. He was a spirited lad, and he came to stay with us for a period of time when we started to notice some things that mm, could be medically related, but we wanted to be sure. Alistair, please come in here a moment. And this young boy walks in. Uh, he's about eight, nine years old, stands in front of you, kind of just has dead eyes, just looking right at you, right through you. He says, um, may I present Master Alistair? Uh, Master Alistair, this is uh, a gentleman friend of mine who uh, is going to help you a little bit and just run some tests if he, if he wouldn't mind. This is Dr. Jackal. Say hello. The boy doesn't say a word. Yes, well, hello, Alistair. It is, uh, what appears to be the problem, and uh, he is actually speaking too heavy because right. you know children are children are properties. You don't ask a dog what's wrong; you ask the owner what's wrong. <laughs> right. At this point, so, you're right. <laughs> yeah, Where does it hurt, son? <laughs> yeah. Where he told you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> he will ask Tevi, what, "What appears to be the matter with the young lad?" Ah, well, <laughs> funny you should say this. He's unable to sleep. Uh, cannot find rest. Cannot. Uh, no matter what we do, we are up all night, um, harassing other children, causing mischief. Just, I don't understand it. The boy doesn't seem to ever need to to sleep, to dream, to decompress. I don't know what it is. I was hoping maybe you could tell me if if, if this is a chronic situation or if it's uh, something uh, more of the psychological. I don't know. Yes, well, I, I would be happy to run some preliminary tests on the young lad and, uh, of course, uh, we do have a top-notch psychiatric department here as well. I'm sure one of our faculty would be able to recommend uh, alternative methods if this proves to be more than just a physical malady. That is good to know. I've uh, had some dealings in the past with several members of uh, the community where where we are have to go into such an, a place. It is frightening type of medicine, a little bit beyond what I understand as far as man's capacity to to break inside the power of the mind but uh alistair sit down please so he sits down and again dead eyes not moving just sits there staring at you he does watch his head doesn't shift but his eyes are constantly following you even though they're they're, they're like empty and you could just this looks like somebody if you had to click into your head this would be somebody who had been physically abused this is somebody who has seen enough in such their in such a short life that you're not they, they just go into that place where it's just safer not to speak not to, to to make no sudden movement they just want to lock on and just keep an eye on you to make sure you're not coming at them with a scalpel or something but very very much like internalized so i think what i would do or what dr jackal would do is try and perform you know, if that's if that's a feeling that I got, I'm not going to take out like the rubber mallet and start whacking the kid's knees or whatever. But I would still kind of do like just a, a basic physical, taking his temperature, checking for any bruises or uh, signs of previously broken bones or, you know, if, I guess they don't have flashlights, but something to kind of check the reaction of the pupils. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, give them give them a, a good old fashioned 
late 19th century once over and, um, you know, maybe every once in a while I'll try and hit some tickle spots or something to see if I can even get like a little involuntary laugh out of the kid. Right. So do you have anything in empathy? I would be shocked. Let me check. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, no. How <laughs> fair enough. Do you have, how about awareness? <laughs> I have alertness. I have uh, alertness is more when you're about to be jumped. Awareness is looking around. So if you give me that and a wits, please. Actually, that and perception. All right, so two two crits, successes, and a regular success. When you're going through the, the critical f- functions of his body, his heart, heartbeat, um, pulse, breathing, listening to his chest, making sure there's nothing there, your skin, your skin begins to prickle as you're touching him, and the hairs in the back of his arm stand up. On the back of your arm, rather, stand up. They become like... there's a, I'm not going to say a fear response, but you're definitely picking up like if somebody had shocked you or run your head, you know, you scattered across a carpet the wintertime and touched something, you're getting that, that current almost off the kid. Tevi just watches you. Did you find anything, doctor? Does he he have a pulse as I'm checking this all out? Is it a normal, normal human being pulse? Feels it. Um, Okay. I have an idea as a player what's going on. Okay. I don't know that Dr. Jackal would think of this. British currency that was silver was actually still made of silver back then? Um, should be. Um, it would be like, sterling silver, but silver. I, I, for what I want to try, I, I think that might work. What, do you hit him with it? Uh, no, no, no. I'm okay. going to take out just a silver coin, whatever the smallest denomination of silver coin is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you are quite, quite a good little boy, Alistair. You didn't flinch or cry out once during this routine. And I think you should go and buy yourself some candy. And I will try to put the silver coin into his hand. Um, the silver coin hits his hand and then leaps past you onto the ground and slides. And Tevi goes, hmm. And he looks at you and he says, amazing. Yes, that's quite peculiar. I have, I have no idea why that is going on. Um, is there something that my character can try and intuit that he's dealing with a baby werewolf or something of the like? Again, that's going to come under your occult. If you really are a gentleman of science. Yeah, I got nothing you're, in the occult. You're, still, you're probably still very much... This, this is, there's got to be an explanation to you. And I'm not sure uh, you tell me would would his first reaction be to go to the, to the idea of something supernatural, especially dealing with, you know, people that aren't part of the actor group that, you know, that, you know, these supposed well, vampires. I, are- I remember that Kiernan had mentioned something about Tevi dealing with uh, werewolves. So I'm assuming as a, as Dr. Jackal, I am assuming that, Tevi is at least somewhat in on the gag. Mm-hmm. Um, how he would have gone about making this young child react as if he were a werewolf, short of straight-up abusive brainwashing, which in the 19th century, I don't know if I would have cared about. I don't, I don't know. Um, so he looks at you and says, 
you know, Doctor, uh, you, if you don't mind me saying while you're analyzing the boy, uh, you you travel with some interesting companions. Um, oh, yes, I've always had a, a flair or a fondness, not a flair myself, but a fondness for the melodramatic. I always do seem to find myself in the uh, presence of writers and poets and actors and the like. This is uh, quite unusual, but, uh, you know, as they say, when in Rome. Hmm. When in Rome. Hmm. Yeah. I can understand why they might say that. Yeah, but I'm not speaking so much about uh, just a simple street performer. I'm saying that you run with some very dangerous people. Um, this... Oh, yes, there was a quite unfortunate accident just the other night, actually. Mm, do tell. Oh, I'm sure you've seen it in the papers. I, I haven't had the opportunity to check myself, but uh, one of my associates' houses burned down just the other night. I hope no one was hurt. Yes, well, as unfortunately, I've not had an opportunity to follow up on my inquiries in that particular matter. Well, if um, I'm sure that there are other tests to run, but I just um, how long have you, if you don't mind gossiping with me, just another minute or two? How do you long have you known this Christina, this Christina woman that traveled with you the other night when you came to my house in the evening? Oh, I've only had her acquaintance for the last oh, about a week or so, I suppose. I met her through a friend of the family, as it were. Really, and. By chance, do um, have you ever known or seen where she stays, or have you have you had a chance to stop by and present your card to her at her at her address at her residence? Uh, no, of course not. I'm a gentleman. I would never do such a thing uninvited or unprovoked. Of course, of course. I'm, I'm uh, not frankly, trying to say that you're Rabbi, some sort of a playboy. Frankly, Rabbi, I'm I'm slightly taken aback by your line of questioning. It's quite inappropriate. Well, it's, um, there are things um, that may be going on that I'm a little concerned about. I was worried about her safety. Uh, even though there are dangerous people that you, you do travel with, this Christina was of interest to me. I just wanted to make sure that um, she had not befallen any harm. So, uh, but it's uh, for another time. I, I, I feel like I've overstepped my bounds, perhaps. And he kind of steps back and watches you with Alistair for a little bit. And going, going back into that, I'm thinking it quite odd. Uh, as I said, very inappropriate line of questioning uh, from an older gentleman who is clearly married with his own children, no less. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who wants to go and kill this bitch? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I don't know if I fault him for that, but understood. Uh, <laughs> so, he, just a couple of more things. Uh, the Horatio is going to take out like some. Now, Alistair, I promise you this is not going to hurt at all i just need you to take this piece of copper in this hand here and i hold out like and this piece of copper in this hand here and i hold out two pieces of copper that like when connected like close a circuit that would make like a little light or something turn on mm -hmm. um just to see if, like, the coin dropped out because the boy's brain chemistry is so out of whack that it's like making him actually electric so they had roto generators where you had to actually crank them to get any kind of current going you know small small ones that you would use for like you know uh, small shock therapy or electric therapy for like people with seizures think you would literally crank it build up a small amount of, of electricity in the coil and then you could release it 
are you trying to see if he can take it, if he's conductive, or are you seeing if he puts out any power by himself? I'm seeing if he puts out the power by himself. I'm not going to sit there and crank a generator and a try and... No, no, it's a little handheld one. I'm not talking about knocking the kid across the room. I, it, they're small. They, they come in like a small wooden box like you would see for like a, a, the size of a bread loaf. And it would have just a coil and, you know, a, and, a, and a little crank and you can start getting some power to it. But okay, so you're looking to see if he can generate current. Like yes. do, like Uncle Fester. Okay, so I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how when I closed the circuit by putting a coin as in hand that the coin went flying. So if I hand him two pieces of copper and remove myself from the equation, do like maybe sparks start popping in between them or? Okay, I, I wouldn't have like a tiny light bulb or something for him to light up. But yeah, not like that yet. But okay, gotcha. So you you set about you set it up, and sure enough, you you start to smell ozone burning. Hmm. Yeah, so, uh, Rabbi, I, I don't know exactly what this means, but it appears our young Alistair is uh, generating a bit of current. Now, whether this is due to an increased brain activity, because the brain does function off of electrical currents, as uh, we've come to understand in the hopefully recent times or i'm completely ruining it, the immersion don't worry um, about it <laughs> you discovered it a couple weeks ago it's as, all in the as, papers as you i it. discovered quite famously um <laughs> the the brain does generate a small amount of electricity and well young alistair here seems to be generating quite a bit more than a small amount of electricity uh, I don't have any idea as to why or what this might be implying, but I am quite fascinated and would, with your permission, love to study the boy further. If you would allow me some time to think of some additional experiments uh, and testing that we might try. All non-invasive, of course. Oh, that's... I have absolutely no problem with it. I'll be sure to bring him back. I, I know men of your ilk and profession many times like to publish special papers and gain notoriety by uncovering the mysteries of science. This is, this is something that's right up your alley, I'm sure. Um, and, it, you know, if perchance you were to rethink your position on the conversation that you seem to be a little reluctant to discuss, but uh, just uh, uh, shared a little bit of information with me, I'd be more than glad to bring the boy back for you to take a closer look at Yes, well, if you have a message for Miss Christina, I would be happy to pass it along to her. But as I said, it's entirely improper for me to just hand out a lady's information, even for something as benign as a social call. Let me think on that, Doctor. Let me think exactly what I want to say, and I'll get back to you. Yes, well, in indeed, you have yourself a splendid rest of the afternoon, and... Uh, Alistair, it was in fact a absolute pleasure to make your acquaintance, and I've gone pick up the silver coin that went flying across the room, and this time handed over to the rabbi. Do do boy, buy the boy a treat. He was quite well behaved. Uh, <laughs> Are you doing? Give the man a dollar from Young Frankenstein. I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> give, give him an extra dollar. Uh, I'm sorry. That was. Uh, that was me breaking moment. I apologize, but that was just too classic. Just <laughs> give him something extra. Okay, so yeah, um, he hands it to Alistair. Alistair looks at you, and as Tevi's walking him out uh, towards the door, the hallway, and he and he opens the door to your lab. Alistair just looks back over at you, and you you really want to hit him. He's giving you a look of 
just absolute disdain. A look like, I can't believe that you are even thinking of, of talking to him about me or looking at me or discussing me as if I'm not in the room. And he, I don't know, it's it's just that classic look that kids can get when, when they don't like you and they're trying to see through you or they're not paying attention. But he's doing it with malice, with, with intent, and he's just staring at you. And finally, Tevi's like, come, come, Alistair. Let's leave the doctor to what he has to do. He has, he's a busy man. And he pushes him out of the door. And the kid never loses contact with your eyes until the door is shut. Uh, children are disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Part of me wants to fight that comment, but I'm no longer a child. <laughs> I sometimes forget That's that. true. Uh, yeah, you, are, you are well beyond child years now, my dear. I know, but still... So, doctor, uh, was so you run your tests on on uh, the blood and samples and trying to find uh, some sort of trace memories in at the cellular level. Is there anything else you were going to set up or do before we move on to one of the others? I am going to take not in the same notebook where the blood experiments are, but there is a whole separate. I, I will call to one of the porters in the school because they back then they just basically you couldn't call up yeah supply room bring me a box of number two pencils they actually had like porters for the heads of departments and such absolutely yep so i will go and get one of the porters and tell him to bring me a uh, another leather bound uh notebook they know the type that i like as well as and then i'm just gonna list off like uh completely from memory just a whole bunch of what sounds like random equipment. Like I'm either going to try and invent the radio or build Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And this guy has no idea which. Okay. So you need a Torque and Fritz and a who's a Majigs and all those things. Got oh, it. Yeah. Okay. No worries. That goes about, you take care of that and he's dispatched immediately and he's going to be running all over London, uh, looking for different tinkerers and, and shops of, and such that might have different devices that will help set you up for, the, the withdrawal, capturing, and registering of some sort of current. Um, so that's that'll be most of your day then spent at that point. Back into the evening when the carriage departed with uh, Rosamond and Evelyn. Evelyn, you made your way back to your own uh, re- residence, to your business. Uh, Anthony ha- had been given the night off, uh, which was probably for the best because his nerves had been shot. He, um, you know, he's there's only so much a man can take. And the you, you arrive back at your uh, at your you know your brownstone that you that you have, make your way inside, and the light is on in your office. Um, the rest of the house is fairly much calmed down. It's it's already getting late. It's like three a.m. you know two thirty three a.m. by the time you make it home. But there is um, the silver letter tray is on your desk, and there is a note there or some sort of a, a sealed envelope, a smaller one. And the light was on in the office? The, yeah, the lights... Well, they would always leave the light on in the office anyway if you were out. It's just to leave the front of the house illuminated. But, you know, they the fire is, is dwindling. It's somewhat down. You don't hear any noise as you come in from the basement. Most of your servants have probably, you know, realizing Mistress was out for the evening and not home till very late. Once it gets to like 2 or 3, you know, 2.30, they start to retire and get cleaned up and go to... Because they, they, are, they are appearing, you know, before you wake up to get the house ready and things of that nature. So they usually go to bed just before you. Um, is there anyone around, like, servant-wise? 
Uh, you could summon one of them if you needed it, but okay. um, at the moment, no. I'm not gonna make a big stink about this, but um, Evelyn grabbed... What did they do wrong? Nothing. No, no. <laughs> I, I take the letter to uh-huh. send into my human kitchen. And okay. I grab a couple biscuits. Oh, okay. And I, you know, bring them back to my office and I, you know, have a biscuit and I open the letter. <laughs> All right. You know, sometimes sometimes I get weird cravings. Right, of course. No, you still you still have a fanciful notion that food is good. Um, which is fine. Uh, some vampires are able to eat. You are one of those that seem to be able to put up the facade of that food is still part of your everyday life. Um, yeah, you, you're in your office, and do you wish to open the note? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm enjoying a snack in the note. There is only three words on the paper, and it's from the telegraph office, and it simply says, on my way. Ah, Excellent. Time to rouse the servants. Now? <laughs> well, now. This is important. This is, the house needs to be cleaned. We gotta refresh the basement. Like, the wine cellar, we have to restock. This is, people. The suite on the upper floor in the back of the house with the view of the gardens, it's gotta get cleaned. It's only used when one person's in, in residence. Get on. You, 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 no, you, uh, we don't have you, to, go, we don't have to go through all that, but I'm just saying, no, no, but you hit the, the you morning. hit the gong, <laughs> you, you hit the gong that was brought to you from the Orient and there's a noise that rips through, through the whole house and, you know, bleary eyed, half sleep, um, people start scurrying down the, uh, the staircase and they, they come to the, they line up in their normal Victorian servant, you know, p- from, most important member of the household down to the scullery maid. Uh, there's five of them and, and they're standing there and one tries to, you know, not yawn. They, she covers her mouth, but Anthony is standing there and, and, and says, at attention, everyone. Yes, mistress. Uh, we, 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 we are assembled. Thank you. And very sorry to disturb all of your slumber, but I felt it was important to inform you uh, that master Niccolo will be arriving within the next 48 hours, if not tomorrow. So I'm assuming they all know who he is. No. So three of them kind of look left and right. Anthony goes bleached white. And the the, the main housekeeper, um, <laughs> Candace, also goes very... She gets shaky. Um, she's had a run-in with Niccolo before where he pinned her to the wall and had several conversations with her that she didn't like. So she's a little timid of him. Uh, Anthony's just timid about everybody. But yeah, it, it, the two of your senior staff definitely know who you're talking about. The others get the feeling not to ask right now by the reactions of Anthony and Candace. Um, Candace, you will lead uh, the staff in preparing uh, Master Niccolo's suite. Everything must be absolutely perfect, pristine for when he arrives. And if some of my uh, companions, the house guests that have been treating my home like some sort of hostel, uh, decide to... Wow, what? <laughs> That's fabulous. Wow. You know what? You know what? You invited us there, and you were like, hey, my home can be home base. Hello. Yeah. Mikasa Tsukasa. Hold on. Trash. Hold on. What the hell ever? 
whatever happened to you lost everything, let me open my home to you? You know what? I'm going by the docks. I'm sleeping yeah, for, under the for docks. One night. I don't care. For one night. Anything you need for 24 hours. Hey. And Simona. right off. Simona. Honey. Uh-huh. Yes. That offer was in... Okay, the offer still stands for you. You don't, gotta, you don't have a bed. Um, <laughs> the rest of you slags. You don't have a bed to piss in. <laughs> Unfortunately... Nicolo's arriving soon, and my house is full of non-Lasombra. So I need to clean house figuratively. I gotta I gotta make some preparations. It's not no, we understand, home. please. So go ahead. So you know, the the home is being treated like some sort of halfway house, people coming in and out. They are not to be made aware that something is wrong. So if anyone arrives as you're still preparing tomorrow evening. Act as if you're just giving the home a very thorough cleaning. Like, call it one of my dramatic whims. Yes, ma'am. Does everyone understand what Mistress is saying? We are not to mention the fact that that Master Niccolo is coming and and that he'll be taking residence for for a time. Uh, how, if I may ask, ma'am, without being impertinent, how long is Master Niccolo planning on staying this time? We wouldn't have this home if it wasn't for Master Niccolo. He can stay as long as he likes. Uh, Presumably for um, a week, if not more. I don't foresee it being a long week. Like last, yes, a week. That's that. That is a blink of an eye in in the grand scheme of things. Yes, Mistress. Of course. He has many social calls. I'm sure he will not be a burden upon you too much. However, um, we will be getting another guest for below stairs. Another guest for below stairs, miss? Oh, not one of you. No, I'll see to that. Don't don't you worry. Um, uh, that will be all. Uh, Candace, you know what to do. You know his preferences, what pillows, linens, and whereforth. Mistress, if I may, I will not have him chase me with that codpiece again. I it was very what? inappropriate. <laughs> who is this guy? I know who he is, but that's only because I live in this house. <laughs> um, it's and- actually Ashenbrenner in yet another costume. <laughs> what? Call me Niccolo! <laughs> <laughs> Observe as I brandish my manhood! <laughs> yeah, the, um, there's a lot of, like, uh, talk about that particular thing. Can't say that with my with the DM here. <laughs> um, Candace, uh, my dear, to my knowledge, I removed the codpiece from him the last time he chased you, and I've burnt it. And unless he's brought another one, that particular codpiece will not be um, in play. I called it a justice hat, ma'am. And it was covered in bells. Um, Candace, I apologize for the way he treated you. Um, I will speak to him. Thank you, mistress. However, he does like to chase people, so if one of the people below stairs gets out, he will be chasing them. Just bear that in mind. They all kind of just shake their heads in absolute just horror, thinking of, well, of anybody chasing someone down the street like that, especially by your residence. But Anthony and and Candace are actually getting a mental image of Niccolo running across the rooftops, like in the room, or, you know, screaming that he's going to kill someone or hurt them. So, yeah, this is... um, He's definitely left an impression on some of them. Um, any questions? I'm assuming that you all know what to do. Yes, mistress. 
Shall we start this evening, ma'am, or carry, or should I let the staff rest a little and then make make our uh, be, make our beginnings tomorrow evening? With his rather, um, you know how needy he is. When he arrives, um, they'll have no rest. So please, everyone, you may start. Uh, have a lion. You can start later on in the morning than usual. But again, please, nothing is amiss. This must. His arrival must be seamless. It must be perfect. In fact, I would like it if no one knew he was even here. As you say, and they all, and Anthony dismisses them and they all walk away and, and have their instructions. And he, he goes about, you know, making sure that they understand what, what it actually means to move the furniture, make sure everything is swept. Uh, rugs are, are taken outside and beaten and cleaned. Uh, that the house itself is spotless. They they bring out the best you know, uh, crystal from Waterford. They, they, they make the house entirely prepared for his arrival. They're going to take care of that for you with no problem uh, as the, the next day starts. Perfect. I have complete and total faith in them. Good. Anything else you need to get done? Well, I, I do need to go and acquire. Um, this doesn't have to be this evening, but, or at least start the look for um, a vintage that he would like for the wine cellar. That's not a problem. It's late this evening to start doing that. It's very. It's already you know three thirty by the time all this is done. So you're probably looking at only about two hours it, it, to make a snap decision would be difficult. He prefers a pedigree and a vintage of a finer quality when he's not acting rambunctious and crazy. So more than likely, you're probably going to have to take care of that tomorrow evening when you first awaken. That's fine. Okay. So, Rosamond, uh, at the same time that Evelyn has gotten news that Niccolo is arriving, you uh, pull up with Charles, who came out to get you, with uh, the coach and uh, Rennie's body. You pull up outside of the chantry around the rear entrance, and he's he helps you alight from the carriage and make your way in upstairs, and he says that he will carry her in. He goes in the back, takes Rennie out of the, uh, you know, the, the rear doors that, that open, sort of to allow, you know, something, a box or coffin to slide in the back. And he starts to carry her in. Um, what do you do? You're, you're in front of him by, you know, 10 or 15 feet. Is there a place in the chantry we would go to, like, put the sick people? Like, there's an infirmary section? Because that I would want to escort him and her there first. So normally if if someone was being... If it was a larger or more potent ritual that needed to be done, you do have a basement set up for such just such things. Uh, if it's draped in heavy, you know, uh, velvet fabrics, uh, the floor is 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 ancient, you know, old oak wood that's been laid down. There's there's definite symbols carved into the ground itself. People would gather the Tremere if they were ever going to do something that required, you know, strength of of their magic. It would it would always happen in the basement. Okay, then I would definitely escort them into the basement, and then I would go up to Rex and tell the house, basically, like, I've... Well, let's, let's take that one step at a time. Charles, and, and you bring Rennie down, you lay her in on the floor in the center of one of the circles, just because it's, you know, in the room itself. It's not like he's doing anything intem- intentional with it. But there's all kinds of candelabras that are that are kept lit. Uh, the room isn't doesn't have a lot of light, but there are candles at different you know positions. The room is very large. Remember, you knocked out the left and right brownstone 
uh, this the chantry goes left and right of the center building. So you have quite a bit of space and, and the basements also are broken through. This is this room itself. Should other Tremere visit, this chantry could hold probably about 40 or 50 of you. Uh, not, not that there's ever been that many in London, but the London chantry is massive. So you're you're down there and you, you go up and Charles says he'll wait with her just in case, you know, something should happen or someone should stop by, should, you know, come down to the basement and not know what's going on. And you make your way up and standing at the top of the stairs where the basement, you know, meets with the main part of the floor and the center building is Rex. And he says, Rosmond has entered the estate. I, like, shuffle up to him and I kind of in a hurried voice because I'm frantic at this point because I've seen Rennie's condition and the doctor was examining her and wasting time in a way, but it's like, yes, yes, Rex, I know, I know, I'm here. Listen, I need you to make an announcement saying that I have brought into the Chantry Bartholomew's paramour, and she could have a clue as to his whereabouts, which would be very important for our clan. Mistress, what have you done? You have brought Nosferatu into the Chantry. No, you must leave with Rennie. You must take Rennie away now. Do not let they know that you have brought something like this into the Chantry. You must go, Mistress Rosamond. You must take her now. Take her away. They are the ones that told me to go on a mission to find Bartholomew. Oh, do not, do not make Rex make this announcement, Mistress Rosamond. Please, do not make Rex do this. Why? What are they going to do to you? No, no. The stairs become light. They start to, the blackness starts to fade away. And you can see that there is, you hear footfalls and you can see two people are starting to descend the stairs. And Rex is like, Mistress, no, please run with Rennie. Do not leave Rennie here. Uh, I don't know. I don't, as her character, she wouldn't just listen to a gargoyle's complaining or screaming, but she would be a little shaken up. But she's kind of just staring up at the stairs at this point, wondering who's coming down. I mean, she knows, but it's like, uh, what? <laughs> He's like, for the sake of the Shantry, for the sake of yourself, for the sake of Rennie, please, mistress, do not. And you hear, what have you done, Rex? Yes, what are you saying? And um, nothing, they, Miss Rosmond has returned. She's, she has brought Rennie of the, of the Nosferatu clan into the Shantry, it, it is the way of things. I, I was about to make the announcement myself. We heard it. We know everything, Rex. You did not have to actually utter the words for us to hear your thoughts and to hear those things whispered to you. Well done, child. Yes, you've done an amazing job finding Rennie for us. But you, Rex, you have shamed us. You have broken the oath. Your job is to simply repeat the news, not decipher it, not filter it, and for that, Rex, there will be punishment. And they start walking towards him, and he screams, Mr. Schwarzman, please! Take me with you, move! Don't let them take do not let them take Rex! Rex will be killed! Rex will be tortured, please! Oh god, uh, I don't uh I've tried to turn to them and kind of innocently play like plead to them in a subtle way of like I'm sure there's a reason for his uh, trepidation, but I I don't think he would hide anything from you. Don't let them touch Rex! Please! 
I looked, I looked at him and said, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, with my eyes, I, I, what do you want me to do? Stand aside, child. Rex knows exactly what he's done wrong. They're going to, they're going to hurt Reddy. They're going to hurt more of us. Please, mistress, do not let them make another gargoyle from one of us. What? Uh, that's me in my head. Not, not out loud. Um, Dramir are bad news. They are bad news. Ugh. I normally don't break into other people's scenes, but bad freaking news. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um Rosamond steps to the side head bowed and doesn't and looks away like, come with us Rex one takes one hand one takes the other and he locks his legs no no Mistress Rosamond please everyone in the estate they are taking Rex away they are going to hurt Rex and you, you, there's dead silence you don't hear any other voices you don't hear anything in your head it is just it is a child crying for its parents as it's being taken to foster care. It is a wife watching her husband sent to death row, knowing he's innocent. This is the biggest, most pitiful scream you've seen. He tries to lock his legs into the into the floor. He tries to keep his feet, but they're sliding. And with strength, you didn't know that they possessed. They start pulling him like a chimpanzee. He's pulling backwards. His body torqued and twisted. And he's like, no, Mistress Rosamond, please! This was not what was supposed to happen to Rex! What do you do? I'm watching in, like, horror because I, I kind of have bonded with him since I was a kid. I mean, he's probably been around here for years. Like, 80, 80 to 100 years, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, so he's been around for basically almost half my life, and I'm just like, it's they. I can't, I'm just, <laughs> I'm a novici. I'm new. I'm like, barely have any power, so I'm just, I'm trying to block out the noise and go into my happy place of just like, okay, I am on a lovely boat in the middle of the sea, with a bunch of handsome Scotsmen. This is not Rex screaming in my ear, begging me to stop it. I can't. I can't. You hear the sound of... Uh, he pulls away from the blonde's hand for a moment, and he grabs onto the molding that that is where he... Not far from where he stands, that towards the, the basement stairs, there's... You know, he has molding that, that gilds the framework of the way in deeper into the main level of the house... And his claws are, are just cl- holding on to it. He says, this is, this is what Rex does not wish. Please, May. He, Rex was just frightened for the Nosferatu. Rex remembers what he was, but he has served faithfully. No, no, God, no. And they drag him down the stairs screaming at the, and he is already, you can sense he is already feeling pain. He's already, whatever they're, however they're holding him, they're either burning blood and they're they're focusing it into his body. They're doing something terrible to him. He is out of control. His eyes, his yellow eyes, are popping. It it would be almost as if someone was squeezing his body so hard that his eyes and head were just changing color from the pain and agony. And they quietly just t- descend down the stairs, and you hear the door quietly shut, and his screams go silent. Oh my god. Rex failed in his duties to just report. And they do make, out of the Nosferatu they have captured, that is how they produce their gargoyles. 
When Nosferatu break the laws, when things happen and princes say they can take them, they use them for that method. As they're information gatherers, aren't they? They know everything. And that's, they stay in that role, but they twist their bodies and shape them into things that can be controlled. And after a few moments, how long do you stand there? Um, I stand there for maybe like three minutes more, just like in shock. And this is also just me a little bit infiltrating the character, but it's like, she's very upset about this. It's not, it's not a good feeling. And then she tried to shake it off and like, what's your humanity? Oh, Okay. Uh, my humanity is one, six, seven out of ten. Okay, go ahead and give me a roll. Uh, D10 roll? Mm-hmm. Okay. You need seven of them, yep. Okay, I have one critical fail, and, uh, over, uh, six and up is a pass, correct? Mm-hmm. I have five passes, no critical successes, but one crit fail. Okay, so you have five. So basically, you have three successes. So your humanity holds that right now. You are you are doing everything in your power not to run down those stairs. Humanity is is what draws you towards people and says we you know we may be monsters that have to feed on blood, but we don't have to be you know we don't have to be torturers. We don't have to be you know destitute killers we don't have to be jack the rippers we can we can be better than that we are a more noble creature than that even though we are blood we 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 practice magic it's it's an ancient right this has been going on since man you know found fire and painted on the cave walls there's been blood magic there's been power in blood but this this feels this just is making you feel as if an injustice is being performed something that you were unaware of was how they perform these magics because you've never seen a gargoyle made a Rex might've been made, you know, a hundred years ago. You, you were an, a young novice, barely, uh, you know, you just hadn't seen how it was done, but over the years you've come to recognize he was a dutiful servant. And now to think that he is not coming back or if he comes back, you will be so different is just breaking, you know, what's left of your human heart. Um- Unfortunately, my character sheet and the way that I designed this character, she wouldn't do anything because her demeanor is as, as a conformist. She will stay within the rules, and if she's told not to move, she won't move. Another couple minutes pass by. Like you said, you stood there three, four minutes, sort of in shock, and then in your mind you hear, Everyone, listen, please. When you awaken tomorrow evening, be sure to bring yourself to the basement. We have a guest that needs to join us. We need a new information servant. We need someone to guard the Chantry for us while we sleep. And that person shall be Rennie of Clan Nosferatu. Come down to the basement tomorrow for the ritual and help us merge the flesh, change the shape through powers and magic and form what will now be our newest intel machine. 
Thank you for listening to Hellfire Nights. You can like, share, and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. To help support our network of real play adventure shows, please visit us at patreon.com forward slash the Bardic College. And for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes reels, interviews with players and storytellers, and exclusive adventures featuring your favorite characters from our shows.